Hey friend, I'm so glad you could join me today. I hope you're doing well. It is Veterans Day today, so if you're listening on the day that this has been released, I'm assuming hopefully you have the day off, and I hope you enjoyed the episode, and maybe it can make the day even better. So I just wanted to say thank you to all of our veterans and active duty military for their service to our country. Today's episode subject was actually requested by one of our listeners, Nick. If you listened to the first episode, you know that I am from the IE in California, and at least from what I can see on my end of things, I have like a heat map of like the general area in which my listeners are located, and a majority of the people are in this area. There's like a few scattered listeners across the states, like there's a few in Texas, um, some in DC, Northern California, and even the world which is crazy. I think we have a, a, li- a listener or two in Ireland, which is crazy. Hi. <laughs> but I assume most of the people I personally know or my boyfriend knows are people who are listening, which he knows everybody from Moreno Valley. And if you know Dom, you know he knows everybody. So 99% I'm sure of the listens we get are probably somebody that he knows. So naturally, Dom's friend Nick requested an episode on a haunting in Moreno Valley. When I first started looking for something that's happened here, I couldn't find anything very specific, and I was kind of thinking I'd have to resort to a haunting in San Bernardino County because it is older than Riverside, I think by 60 or 70 years since it was founded by white men. Uh, Yeah, and it may have a bit more history. Redlands in San Bernardino County does have a few haunted places that I am aware of. San Bernardino City itself does have like a haunt, not a haunting, but like uh, ghost sightings and murder case that happened. If you've seen the movie Changeling with Angelina Jolie, that movie was based on a true story in San Bernardino and it's pretty crazy. There are a few hauntings that I am aware of and murder cases that have happened, so possibly cover those cases, probably more than likely, but I did happen upon one in the city of Moreno Valley. Today, you and I are going to be talking about the Moreno Valley poltergeist. My name is Lauren, and you're listening to A Nightmare on Their Street. I don't have this like huge fear of murderers or serial killers. I mean, they're obviously scary as shit and horrifying and like it's it's scary. But I have at least a fighting chance against somebody wielding a weapon. But ghosts, I literally have no chance. What the hell am I supposed to do? The most I have is like a rosary and like my hands and knees that the good Lord gave me to pray with. Other than that, like... I'm screwed. If you've seen the movie Poltergeist, you may have like some idea of what a poltergeist is or the movie Paranormal Activity. But if you don't, poltergeist is German for loud ghost or noisy spirit. These ghosts have a physical hold on the world that we live in and will cause physical disturbances like moving objects or damaging property, different things like that. They're believed to haunt specific people, but not locations. 
they tend to haunt women as opposed to men. So if you're a woman, uh, just uh, pray harder or something. I don't really know how you avoid them. <laughs> There's, that's, that's also another part that scares the shit out of me about ghosts is like, what do I do to like not bring them around or like invite them into my life? I mean, I think I've done a pretty good job so far. I've been on this earth for like, how long have I been here? 27 years, 20, almost 28. And to my knowledge, I haven't brought one around, hopefully, but who knows? They do lean towards taunting people who are like stressed or um, going through emotional turmoil, which there are a lot of incidents of adolescents being bothered by these poltergeists because they tend to be emotional like they're going through a, a transition in their life that is very emotional and it's understandable but poltergeist latch on to that emotional instability there's a theory called spontaneous recurring psychokinesis where a buildup of stress can subconsciously lead to a projection of your mental energy which then manifests itself as a physical energy. And this physical energy can manipulate the environment that you're in. And the effects of that are what people see as a poltergeist. Some people also believe that the presence of these poltergeists are actually the souls of those who have passed. The idea that these poltergeists have like common knowledge like you and I do and they try to communicate with people shows that they have experience from the physical world that you and I are currently living in and that their spirits have survived bodily death and they are still present in our world. These concepts raise a lot of questions as to like whether or not this haunting in particular is real or even a poltergeist, but I want us to discuss this haunting so you and I can like I mean, I have already decided what I think, but I want you to be able to decide for yourself what you think about this whole situation. I just want to uh, forewarn you, I might get scared while I'm recording. So if I sound a bit panicky, it's because I'm scared as I'm recording this. <laughs> These incidents take place in Moreno Valley, California, but I couldn't find any confirmed statements of the exact address. Online, there's speculation that the house this poltergeist has been documented in is on the south side of Bay Avenue, close to Alessandro, between Heacock and Graham, but it isn't confirmed. If you Google, like, Marino Valley poltergeist, an address on Bay Avenue comes up, but that address shows a single-story home, and the home shown in the videotapes taken by the family that lived in this house has a staircase, and homes also here, they don't have basements. I also found a post someone had put online, I think it was on Facebook or something, that the location isn't correct and the woman who was experiencing these hauntings won't release the actual address. The posting says that people will often like drive by the house even though the address was technically never released by the family that lived there. I'm not sure why that house comes up when you Google it or why people even suspected that home. Also, when you look up that address that people are saying it's at and you look at its purchase history, it was purchased in 2003 and then again in uh, 2013. So there's no record of this house being purchased around 2006 when the family had moved in. Also, most of the information I found about this was 
from the show Paranormal Witness Season 1, Episode 3 on Sci-Fi. So, after you listen to this episode, I recommend watching the actual show so you can, like, see the people who are being haunted and listen to their stories also because even if none of this is real or you're cautious about believing it, it's pretty freaking creepy. I spent, like, hours watching, like, the 30-minute episode because it freaked me out really bad for some reason. I don't I don't really know why. Maybe it's because it's so close to me. And then my brother, like as I was watching it, my brother was leaving for work and I didn't want to be in the house alone while I was showering. So I made him wait until I was done getting ready to leave the house before he could leave. Like my biggest fear when I'm showering is that like when I wash my face or like I have to close my eyes for whatever reason, I'm going to open my eyes and somebody's face will be like right in front of mine. As if having somebody in the house would stop that from happening, but it made me feel slightly better from what felt like ghosts waiting for me, like, in that hours of trying to watch this show. Like, I was freaked out. I don't know why. There's also YouTube videos that I found and other people's outside perspectives and opinions about these events. So, these events occurred in Moreno Valley, California in the year 2006. To start, when you watch the show, the neighborhood and the home they show, like, for the reenactments, isn't the actual home. Reno Valley does not look like that. It looks like some nice, lush, beautiful green place in, like, the Carolinas or something. We're in the desert here, and things aren't, they don't look like that. They're not lush like that, so don't be fooled if you're not from the area and you watch the show. That's not what Movell looks like. (laughs) A woman named Susan Lewis lived in her home with her daughter, Jamie Skipper, and their cats. In the show Paranormal Witness, they both said that they loved their house so much and they said it was a very amazing place to live. Jamie describes it as her sanctuary. A short while after the two moved into their home, Susan's boyfriend Matt moved in with them and he brought his daughter Marie with him. Marie and Jamie, they quickly became close to one another since they were like around the same age and Jamie says that she felt like she had a little sister for once and she was happy when Marie moved in with them. Things seemed great, the move-in transition went smoothly, everybody was getting along with each other but that didn't last long unfortunately. I'm sure transitioning into a new home with new and unknown people can be pretty terrifying. I've never had to go through it but I'm sure it's not that enjoyable especially for like younger female daughters but everything seemed like it was great. Susan says the first thing that happened to her in the home wasn't very alarming and could have just been a simple mistake by somebody in the house or even a prank but there was this jar of peanut butter laying on its side in the kitchen. The peanut butter jar like was opened and it spilled and it was dripping like the peanut butter had been put in the microwave or something and heated so it was like actually dripping down and making a mess all over the countertop all over the ground susan assumed that one of the kids had made the mess while they were all outside enjoying like a pool day so susan asked her daughter jamie about the mess jamie literally had no idea what she was talking about like she even explains like she like laughed at her mom like why would I do that and things started to get a little bit weirder on that very same day and by a little I mean a lot the family would start finding things moved they'd find their microwave stuffed with canned goods 
and a cat figurine on their staircase. There's a video footage of a can like placed on each step leading up the stairway like in a uniform line. My god, there's a towel on my door and I thought it was somebody standing there. (sighs) What was I saying? Cans were placed like in a uniform line, one per step leading up the stairs. Uh, Household cleaning goods like are shown in a video where they're like lined up. Um, In one of the bathrooms, all of the personal care items were like all stacked on top of each other in like an organized they were all stacked on top of each other, one after another, another, and they were put in a straight line a few inches apart um, on the ground also and on top of the countertop. So, they were on top of the countertop and on the floor. There was a star pattern made with hairbrushes on the bathroom countertop in addition to the personal care products. Jamie initially thought that this had been done by Marie, like she was pulling a prank or something on them, I don't think a parent would do this and if Jamie had thought that Marie did it and Marie thought Jamie did it then they obviously didn't do it but if I had never seen anything like this before I I probably would have thought it was a prank also another bathroom in the house had been like completely trashed there was either like cleaning products or personal care products sprayed all over the mirrors and countertops shampoo and conditioner all over the place like all over the mirror all over the countertop it was a disaster it looked like an unsupervised toddler just like went to town on this place they had hours of free time and they just fricked it all up the mother susan was still refusing to believe it was anything supernatural at this point and she still thought the kids were pranking her things got a bit more intense when an incident happened right in front of jamie and marie they both had went into jamie's room and jamie and jamie had a cup of coffee in her hand she set the cup of coffee down on the desk where marie was sitting with her head like lowered like she was writing something you know how you kind of like lean into your elbow and you can't really see to the side of you. Well, after she set her coffee down next to Marie, and Marie had her head down, Jamie heard the dog bark to come inside her room, so Jamie turned her back to Marie and left the room for a brief moment just to let the dog in. And when Jamie came back in, she saw her coffee thrown onto her bed. There was coffee all over her pillows and duvet cover, and Jamie was obviously upset and asked Marie why she would do that. Marie completely denied throwing her coffee on the bed, to which Jamie replied, but you were the only one in here. So, obviously, if you didn't see it happen, anybody would suspect it's a person who's literally sitting right there next to the cup. I would assume it was them. Like, you were seven inches, six inches from the cup. Who else would it have been? Jamie explained at this point that she was pissed off and obviously frustrated, so she grabbed cleaning supplies to clean up the mess, then she set them down in her room once she came back with them. She turned to get the bedding off of her bed to clean it, and then when she turned back around, the cleaning supplies were on their sides, opened and pouring out onto the floor and onto her open dresser drawers. Jamie screamed for her mom. Her mom came rushing into the bedroom and the door slammed shut behind her. Behind where Jamie was standing was a floor-to-ceiling shelving of like dolls and animals, pictures, and like different little figurines, and then everything started flying off the shelves. Jamie explains that she was scared out of her mind. 
and according to Susan, things, seriously, they only got worse from here on out. Everything's inside of their fridge at one point had been opened and emptied out. Everything was a mess all over their house. Whatever or whoever it was had like made diagrams on the walls with different food items. They'd constantly had their doors slamming shut or banging open and closed. At night, if like anybody was awake and the lights were on, everything would just shut off, shut down. Even if they tried to like turn the lights back on, nothing would turn back on. It would be pitch black inside their house. The boyfriend of Susan, Matt, had strongly believed that it was Jamie causing these disruptions and not something else. He thought she just wanted attention, which is kind of, as a parent, reasonable to think it's at least one of the daughters. Everything is so new to all of them and they're young, so it wouldn't be far-fetched to think that they could be acting out. One of the next disruptions in their home were drawings of arrows pointing to what seemed like all different directions. As you follow the arrows, though, they would lead you to the air vents in the house. Susan had a talk with Matt and said she thinks that whatever or whoever it is is trying to communicate with them. She also tells him that those vents lead to the attic and that maybe it would be helpful if they went up to the attic to see if there was anything that could be useful to them or to try to find some answers. Matt reluctantly went up to the attic but couldn't see all the way across the attic and he didn't find anything except that the insulation like in the attic was like super shredded and He still refused to believe anything weird was going on in the house. I don't know this. I feel like this is complete denial. Like you literally see shit all over your wall. Your power goes out. Who do you, who do you think it is? I don't get it. Like how does this man just sit there and he's like, no, it's Jamie. But after hearing from somebody close to Susan, this person tells them that they should make a peace offering to this entity or spirit or whatever it is and show it that they come in peace. So Susan and the kids decided that might help calm things down a bit. They made an altar set up with like cat figurines and candles like an altar or like a like a worshiping kind of setup. Susan spoke directly to the spirit that was bothering them and said, this gift is for you. We mean you no harm and you shouldn't be afraid of us, and we don't want to be afraid of you. Matt comes in, intervenes, and he got really upset about the situation, like royally pissed off. He said to Susan and the girls that they were talking to the devil and that they needed to stop. So he grabs the cat figurine and he rushes outside. Everybody went after him to get him to stop yelling at him, but Matt threw it out into the field behind their house. When everybody returned back inside, The figurine was sitting right where Matt picked it up from the first time. Everybody literally saw him throw it out and saw it land outside in the field behind their house, but whatever was haunting them placed it right back on the altar. I would have literally lost my shit at this point. Like, I would have left and never came back, like, ever. The thought of something, like, reappearing gives me the heaves, and... As soon as Matt saw it sitting there again, he grabbed it and smashed it on the ground as hard as he could. Jamie warned him, like, as he was grabbing it, that if he did that, things would get worse. And they did. That same night, Jamie got up to go to the kitchen while everybody was asleep. When she turned on the light, the kitchen was an absolute disaster again. 
There was food everywhere on the floor and the appliances and written all over the walls and on their computer countless times with like food and sauces was the word cat. Jamie says that as they were cleaning up the mess, they noticed like a footprint in the food. It looked like it was made out of like a red pasta sauce or a tomato-based sauce. Maybe it was salsa. A picture of Jamie's foot um, that she took is like next to said footprint for like size reference. But they don't believe it's a human foot. Like it's like abnormally ginormous. I When you look at the picture, I don't personally see a footprint in the mess. It kind of just looks like splattered tomato sauce to me but I wasn't there. I'd probably be scared anyways because it's a fucking disaster in there and nobody made it that they can see. So this scared them mostly because they felt like something really was in their home because they had been, because they had seen something physical like that, you know, it made it more real to them. Shortly after this, the cats in their home were attacked. Liquids were thrown on the adult cats and those adult cats had kittens and the kittens weren't doing so well. Slowly, one by one, the kittens started to get sick, and then their deaths followed. Another incident happened when Marie was home alone. Now, I don't know why anybody would ever be alone in this house, like literally ever. I'd rather sit in a coffee shop for like 30 hours waiting for somebody to come home rather than be in the house alone or I would like get on a bus and just stay on it all day until somebody would be home with me. I'd literally rather be anywhere else. While she was home alone, things started happening to her. The TV kept flickering on and off while she was watching it, regardless of trying to turn it back on once it had finally shut off completely. Then suddenly things started like flying off the shelves, the furniture started moving and rumbling around, even the couch she was sitting on was rumbling and it was apparently a really heavy couch. As soon as Marie was able to call her mom, she told her what was happening and Jamie was already on her way home. When Jamie got to the door, she unlocked it and as soon as she'd opened it, it would become locked again. So she'd unlock it and someone would lock it again or something would lock it again. This kept happening repeatedly. I'm not sure why somebody would do this or why it would even cross their mind, but Marie... What the fuck was that? Oh my god. But while Marie was being attacked, she was taking pictures with her digital camera with flash. Later, they looked at the pictures and there was this like weird light pattern captured I don't personally think that the pictures captured anything. The camera, like, was at its newest, maybe from 2006, and those cameras aren't the best. You had a camera back in the day, you know they weren't that great. And the lag of the camera taking the picture tied in with the movement caused what was found on the camera, it seems like. I'll be posting the all the photos and the videos taken on the Instagram, so if you want to take a look at them, they will also help you formulate your own thoughts on this situation. At this point, Matt believed what was happening. This kind of bothered me because he was living in this house with his girlfriend and her daughter, but didn't take the safety of them seriously until it it was his own daughter who was under attack. It kind of strikes me as odd and I don't really like it. 
he decided to take action now and called several churches for help. They didn't indicate which denomination they contacted or if they belonged to a specific religion or church. Um, They probably were just asking for any kind of help at this point. It took a lot of searching until they could find a pastor who believed them that would actually come to their home and help them. Susan said the pastor walked around the house and saw the complete mayhem that was caused by the entity and she says the pastor said that that there was a spiritual warfare going on. The most that the pastor did was pray with them and literally offered no help and he just left. Things started to really take a toll on the mental well-being of Jamie and she became reclusive. She stayed in her bedroom in hopes that she'd be safe in there. One day when she had been hiding in her room trying to avoid confrontation with the poltergeist, just as I would do, I'd literally be so scared. I like to hide under my blanket and assume that if I can't see it, then surely it can't see me. Well, she was in her room and a few quiet bangs on the bedroom door turned into loud, constant banging for hours. Jamie finally decided that she had to open the door, but as she got closer to the door, the banging stopped. When she opened the door, the thin wood had been destroyed on the outside and her metal doorknob was bent. The poltergeist had used whatever it could in the hallway to break the door. As soon as Jamie saw that, she turned around and the bathroom door slammed shut, but it didn't have a doorknob on it anymore. As she approached it, the door began to slowly creak open, so she did some quick thinking and tied a thick piece of string through the empty door handle, like, hole, and held it shut. Whatever was inside was pulling hard in the opposite direction, kind of like a game of -of tug-of-war, but the poltergeist was winning, and then the string snapped. As the door slowly opened, Jamie remembers how terrified she was to see what was behind the door. She imagined something from her worst nightmare. And behind the door was nothing. Everything was still. She looks inside the bathroom, nothing. But when she turned around, there was a cast iron pan on the ground with a fire lit inside burning toilet paper. That toilet paper was attached to multiple long strands of other toilet paper and paper towels that were strung about the house that would lead the fire to different parts of the home. It kept spreading and Jamie was trying to rip down all the leads so the fire couldn't spread. Then she was able to put the fire out and there wasn't too much damage to the house, fortunately. Shortly after this, the family decided to leave the home. Both parents agreed that they shouldn't keep their daughters in harm's way and put their home up for sale as soon as possible. After this, Matt and Susan had separated, but Jamie and Marie are still close to this day. According to Susan, just after they had left, five other houses were sold in the neighborhood and they were vacant for a while. She believes that there was something that was disturbing everybody in the neighborhood. Their home was never sold. Susan had to file for bankruptcy, but since leaving the house, the family had no longer been experiencing any harassment from this poltergeist. So if you're able to at this point, go look at the Instagram and check out the post for this episode and watch the footage taken by Susan and the kids as well as the photos taken by Marie before the family moved out. I want us to like form our thoughts on this together with the video footage and photos in mind. So firstly, let's let's talk about the fact that this video footage was taken by them on their cameras. 
There is literally a million and one ways for everything in the videos to be staged. The way everything is stacked on the stairs and in the bathroom, it's very, very likely and plausible that they could have just stacked everything on their own. Then the video, and then they videotaped it and claimed nobody had done it and it was just something in their house. Then there's the messes that were made. I mean, I personally wouldn't think that cleaning up the messes would be worth the clout and the acknowledgement from the paranormal seeking community. That effort is just way too much for me. So maybe it was a poltergeist causing chaos in their home. It happened on multiple occasions and repeatedly happened in the kitchen and in the fridge. Thoroughly cleaning the fridge isn't fun. So I wouldn't imagine somebody doing this for kicks. And the food on the walls, the arrows drawn with food, that's just a mess. I don't think anybody would actually want to clean that. Just, you know, get in with the paranormal crowd. All of this would have been a bit more believable for me if they had, like, set up, like, motion-censored cameras within their home or just literally regular indoor home cameras. I don't know when home video and, like, security systems became a thing. Or maybe it wasn't at this time or it was just really expensive. I used to work at Best Buy and I remember when cameras started being like readily available like to the public for them to install themselves and that was like in 2012 or 2000 whatever after 2012 but something that couldn't be staged would have made this extremely believable and it would have been easier to convince me of this but then there's like photoshop and video editing i literally don't trust anybody or anything I just assume that everybody is lying, which leads me to the next point that this either isn't a poltergeist or it's something else. According to the like universal agreement on what a poltergeist is, a poltergeist only torments a single individual person, but according to them, we know that whatever was in this house was tormenting both Jamie and Marie. This either means that it wasn't a poltergeist, but some other being or spirit. It could mean that what we think we know about poltergeists isn't actually true or accurate to what we had previously assumed that they were like, or this is just all made up. This leads me to like one of the last details that doesn't make sense to me is that poltergeists torment a specific person and that poltergeist follows them to wherever they move to. That family had moved out of this house and they never experienced anything and they also said that it could have like all the people in their neighborhood moved out like if it wasn't haunting just one person then do they assume that it's like the land that is haunting them but this just leads me to believe that either again that it's all made up or this isn't a poltergeist but the land that this home more than likely sat on was inhabited by the Cahuilla tribe, who are one of the original peoples of Southern California. When the Spaniards arrived on their land, they said that the Cahuilla were souls to be saved. When they colonized the land, they brought disease to the native people and they kidnapped their children and had forced labor from them to build missions in California. They had caused cultural and physical genocide of the Cahuilla people and later on, the only land that was given back to these native people were the reservations. There were about 8,000 tribe members and some census data only shows reservations having about seven Cahuilla people. 
There is some speculation that this land may be haunted by the people who may have died on it or that Indian burial grounds or something like that, but there's this representation of Indian burial grounds and hauntings in pop culture that a lot of American society feeds into, and a book called Ghostland by Colin Dickey explains it pretty well, I think. He says, quote, The narrative of the haunted Indian burial ground hides a certain anxiety about the land on which Americans, specifically white middle-class Americans, live. Embedded deep in the idea of homeownership, the holy grail of American middle-class life, is the idea that we don't, in fact, own the land that we've just bought. Time and time again in these stories, perfectly average, innocent American families are confronted by ghosts who have persevered for centuries, who remain vengeful for the damage done. Facing these ghosts and expelling them in many of these horror stories becomes a means of refighting the Indian wars of past centuries, end quote. So, no, I don't think that the land is haunted by anything or anybody. I don't have any knowledge about the beliefs that the Kauia people had on the members of their tribe that they've buried because of the genocide. I just think that using the Indian burial ground trope is an excuse or rationalization for things that might be happening. Or it's just not actually happening and this is all a ploy. <laughs> I want to know what you think. Do you think that they were being haunted by a poltergeist? Do you think that the house resting on native land had anything to do with what they were experiencing? Or do you just not believe the story? Or if you have any other perspectives that I didn't touch on, I'd love to hear them. You could leave your viewpoint in the comments on Instagram posts if you want to. I would love to read them. I'm sure I haven't looked at this from every angle. Nobody is ever able to do that. But I would love, if you have some ideas that I didn't touch on, I would love to hear them. But yeah. And that, my friend, is the tale of the Marina Valley Poltergeist. Thank you so much for joining me. And I wanted to give you a heads up for episode 5. We're going to be talking about the brutal murder of a 25-year-old woman who was mercilessly beaten and stabbed with an ice pick 39 times. There was speculation that a drug deal had gone wrong and it spread like wildfire, but is that really what led to her murder? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you can get a notification for when the next episode releases. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure you check out the Instagram to see the footage of the Marino Valley home if you haven't already on our Instagram at a nightmare on their street and send me an email if you have any questions or suggestions for a future episode to a nightmare on their street at gmail.com. And if you're feeling the giving season already like I am and you enjoy the podcast, the best way to help is by rating and reviewing on the Apple podcast app and telling your friends and family about it. Seriously, word of mouth is really the best way to share your experience and an impression of the podcast with other potential listeners. It helps out tremendously and it means so much to me. I think that's all I have for you today. Stay safe out there and not six feet under. But if by fate one of us has to meet the Reaper, I'll talk to you on the other side. Bye.